You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Noelle Herhusky-Schneider. This is the WFHB Local News for Thursday, May 12, 2022. Later in the program, we have Prescription for Healthcare, a podcast collaboration between WFHB Community Radio and Medicare for All Indiana. More in the bottom half of our program. Also coming up in the next half hour, the Monroe County Board of Health reports a slight increase in COVID-19 wastewater samples. That's coming up in your daily headlines. At the Monroe County Board of Health meeting on May 5th, Assistant Vice President of Indiana University, Kirk White, updated the board on an increase in influenza A and COVID-19 numbers on campus. Um, We have seen uh, this past week uh, a high level of flu A on the campus. In fact, uh, this past week, the the flu A numbers at our health center were higher uh, for one period at least uh, than, than the COVID numbers were. So uh, flu A is certainly there, and uh, the health center was very busy with appointments. Now, this week, we're seeing an uptick in, in, uh, in cases of, uh, of COVID, some uh, uptick a bit in positive. So um, it's evened out a bit more. Uh, we're still keeping a close eye on things, um, and uh, testing is still available uh, on the campus. Uh, we're not testing as much as we used to because of the numbers that have gone down and the high vaccination rate. Um, but we're continuing to offer uh, testing and uh, at least through May, we'll continue to process those uh, in our own uh, lab on campus. Monroe County Health Administrator Penny Cottle said there was an increase in COVID-19 detected in the wastewater testing process. Caudill assured that the board will continue to monitor the increased presence of COVID-19 in wastewater samples. I agree and have talked with Vic Kelson from uh, CBU as well, Kirk, that you know, this is a good, hopefully an indicator. Right now, it's kind of that monitoring to see how what we expect we might see if that holds true. So if we see these increases and then if we continue to see an increase in cases, that follows. Um, so I agree that with less testing that these water samples may very well be a very important tool that we have if we can do more testing. Despite the increase in wastewater samples, Caudill said the hospital numbers are still low. The board agreed to continue the discussion of COVID-19 response during its next meeting on June 9th. On May 2nd, at the Bloomington Redevelopment Commission meeting, Director of Housing and Neighborhood Development John Zodi shared that HAND will host a tenant resource fair on Saturday, May 21st. HAND is uh, going to be hosting a tenant resource fair on Saturday, May 21st. Uh, This is, a, um, as it's named, a resource opportunity for tenants in Bloomington to um, come and get information about different uh, 
services available to them. Um, we'll have some tables and some presentations in the council chamber uh, to uh, just provide information as we uh, are now uh, able to do this in person again um, and hope for a, a nice crowd there. It'll be a Saturday with the farmer's markets going on out front, so hopefully we'll have a good crowd there. Zodi also reminded the public that there are requirements for maintaining lawns to a maximum height of eight inches or less. Um, the uh, other, as a reminder, since we're in a public meeting, just want to remind uh, the residents of Bloomington that uh, grass is growing and we have uh, codes in place that require grass to be eight inches or under uh, if you are uh, mowing and weeds and all that stuff. So we're in that time for our staff to be out looking for um, overgrowth. So just want to remind everybody to keep an eye on the yard. Director of Economic and Sustainable Development Alex Crowley presented an agreement with Buzzkirk Chumley Theater Management Incorporated. He explained that they have worked with them for many years and so they would like to approve a three-year contract. So as you know, uh, for many years now, we have had uh, BCT management as a managing entity for the Buzzkirk Chumley Theater BCT. Um, and uh, year after year, we do, we kind of renew the agreement, minor tweaks here and there. Um, this is another one of those renewals, except that there are a couple of changes that are material in this case that we wanted to highlight, and, and I may overlook some, but the two in particular that I'm thinking of are, in the past, we've done one year at a time, and we've, they, they've done a great job. We're very pleased with the work. They're doing a really uh, bang-up job over there. So we thought, rather than just go through this every year, which is painful for everybody involved, we would do a three-year agreement. So this, year is a, this time it's a three-year agreement through December of 2024. City Legal Larry Allen spoke in support of the contract and said that the BCT management partnership has been stable. The board approved the contract unanimously. The next commission meeting will be held on May 16th. The Bloomington City Council heard a report from the Commission on the Status of Women at their May 4th meeting. The Commission on the Status of Women presented a capstone project report on gender equity in Bloomington. Elizabeth Gib Gribbins, Christina Samens, and Adam Schifris presented the report. Gribbins introduced the study. There, when we came with the commission at the beginning of the semester, um, they told us how they are advocating for women's needs and concerns within Bloomington, and they want to promote solutions within the community. So they defined the areas of gender equity um, in workplace issues, housing security, safety, um, child care, and health care. And when we looked at these different issues, we made sure to take an intersectional feminist approach to them. Um, women have various backgrounds, and so it's really important to consider the implications of race, class, disability, um, sexual orientation, and identity in this kind of work. They expressed a need to us um, for data because some of the surveys that have been previously done um, have minimal data and this data is unrepresentative of the various women within Bloomington and Monroe County. So for us, it was really important to give strategies to address this lack of um, data and representation. And of course, it was necessary to use this intersectional approach to doing our work. Um, 
So we're going to um, tell you a little bit about the work we've done. There was a report on gender equity, which Adam and I will share. And then there was also a team that worked on a potential survey to fill in the gaps of the data that was missing. And lastly, there was a grants team who assessed various um, grant possibilities for doing this survey and for other programming and policy recommendations that we have for you. Adam Schiffris gave some policy recommendations and key data points on the report, focusing on employment and pay. Um, as many of you know, there's a significant pay discrepancy uh, between men and women, and there's also discrepancy in poverty levels. Um, with uh, over 13% of Hoosier women that are working age living in poverty, and uh, nearly 40% of Hoosier single mothers living in poverty. I think if you look at some of uh, the most common jobs in Indiana and compare the wages, it really drives the point home. So for example, average cashier who's a woman is uh, making about 23,600 uh, and a man's making about 27,600. So 17% more. So a significant gap. Gribbins shared what the council and commission can do to address the wage inequity. So we understand there's a challenge to the minimum wage being set at the state level. Um, and we know that the Bloomington uh, raise is restricted to city employees. So we would just add, um, recommend that the commission advocate for equitable employment policies and practices um, through various initiatives, such as a business awards program or official statements um, from the mayor or city council and recommendations um, to other businesses to kind of keep that wage a little bit more equitable. During public comment, Bloomington resident Hugh Kramer spoke about the environmental hazard of gas leaf blowers. An individual gas-powered leaf blower emits 500 times the level of hydrocarbons of a modern automobile. A widely cited study conducted at the American Automobile Association's Automotive Research Center found that the hydrocarbon emissions from a half hour of yard work with a two-stroke leaf blower are about the same as a 3,900-mile drive from Texas to Alaska in a Ford F-150 pickup truck. Translating this to Bloomington, one half hour of gas-powered blowing is equivalent to an F-150 making 700. 85 mile trips. Almost all gas blowers use two-stroke engines. The two-stroke engine is vastly dirtier and less fuel efficient than automobiles because it sloshes together a mixture of gasoline and oil in the combustion chamber and then spews out as much as one-third of that fuel as an unburned aerosol and black carbon, both major contributors to global warming. Health hazards. One study found that each cubic meter of exhaust from an idling two-stroke engine contained 60,000 times the safe level of exposure of benzene, a carcinogenic pollutant of exposure. This, of course, has an element of environmental justice. The health risks associated with the lawn and garden equipment are highest for those who operate this equipment continuously. They're exposed to very high levels of pollutants for many hours each day. They're also exposed to very high noise levels that can induce permanent hearing loss if proper ear protection is not always worn. These operators are typically low-wage workers. This puts additional disproportionately high health risks upon this low-income population who are some of the least able to avoid the risks and or pay for it. We banned burning garbage and public smoking for these same reasons. 
the council held its final vote on modifying the Monroe County local income tax rate. Council member David Rollo expressed concern about the timing of the increase in local income tax. As we've been saying, uh, the nature of this tax uh, as restricted, I suppose, by it, well, actually restricted by state statute, is that it's a regressive tax, it's a flat tax. Um, so the burden is uh, disproportionately borne to, on low to moderate income residents. It comes at a time of economic pressures for, the, for these residents. Uh, they're acute and increasing. Um, we don't know exactly what these pressures will manifest. We don't know uh, what inflation will look like even six months from now. Um, inflation is at highest right now as it's been in 40 years. So it seems incumbent on us as the fiduciary body, the city, to tighten, to assist the administration in tightening our belt. And I appreciate the progress that's been made. Um, it hasn't been easy, and I know it's uh, taken a lot of work by my colleagues, and I appreciate that, and the administration. So now we are talking about a reduction from 8.855 to 0.69. Uh, meaning that by my simple calculation, a couple or an individual with a state-adjusted gross income has their impact redu reduced from $430 a year to $345. So that's real progress, and, I, and so I acknowledge that. Um, but I think we can do more. The council voted unanimously to increase the local income tax by 0.64%. The tax increase would also apply to all of Monroe County because the local income tax rate is decided by the Monroe County Local Income Tax Council, of which the Bloomington City Council makes up a 56.7% majority. The next City Council meeting will be held on May 11th. In today's feature report, we have Prescription for Healthcare, a podcast collaboration between WFHB Community Radio and Medicare for All Indiana. Hosts Dr. Rob Stone and Karen Greenstone speak with Joey Ballard, a third-year medical student at the IU School of Medicine in Indianapolis, an outgoing president of Students for a National Health Program, or SNAP. We turn now to that segment. From Bloomington, Indiana, welcome to Prescription for Healthcare on WFHB Community Radio, sponsored by Medicare for All Indiana. I'm Karen Greenstone, along with Dr. Rob Stone. Hello. Our guest today is Joey Ballard, a third-year medical student at IU School of Medicine in Indianapolis. Joey is a lifelong Hoosier from Evansville, Indiana, who graduated from Wabash College in Crawfordsville. He is the outgoing president of Students for National Health Program, SNAP, on the Indianapolis campus. This year, he is Vice President for Civic Engagement. Joy was involved with the Physicians for National Health Program, PNHP, Northern New England Leadership Internship last summer, and is a member of the Indiana State Medical Association Student Section. Joy Ballard, welcome to Prescription for Healthcare. Thank you guys so much for having me. 
Joy, when people ask me what hope I have for our country to join the rest of the world's democracies, actually realizing that healthcare is not a commodity left to profiteers, I talk about the medical students in SNAP, Students for National Health Program, who are so inspiring and our future. For our listeners' background, SNAP was created as a student chapter of PNHP by two medical students in 2012 who organized a day-long conference in Chicago as a platform to become single-payer advocates. Attended by 35 students the first year, SNAP chapters are now organized on over 100 medical school campuses across the country. I've been the faculty advisor for the Bloomington SNAP chapter since it was organized in the fall of 2018. Joey, what inspired you to go to medical school? I feel like a lot of it <laughs> honestly was a strange story, like by chance. So yeah, I don't have anyone in my family that's in medicine. I didn't like necessarily grow up thinking it's what I was going to go into or anything. And really what happened was this was in high school. My high school calculus teacher, she approached me and she was like, oh, there's this volunteer opportunity at the local hospital in Evansville, Deaconess. And she was like, I think you'd do, I think you'd be great at it. I'd love to write your um, letter recommendation, everything. And I was like, okay, it sounds like a good opportunity. So why not? And yeah, that was my first time that I was in the hospital setting and seeing patients and everything. And I loved it. I thought it was great. And so then the next year I did another program with the hospital. And I feel like it just like continued from there that it was just like a organic thing that started that way. And then my experiences with it, I just liked and it's been good. Yeah. Oh, you are so lucky to have had a teacher that inspired you in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I do feel really fortunate. And it's cool because when I got into med school, I like, I reconnected with her and I told her that I was, I, I don't know if I would have been here if it weren't for you approaching me and oh. recommending that I do that. Joey, you've been involved with the PNHP student leadership internship training that takes place each summer in Vermont. What inspired you to become involved with working on a single-payer national health program and specifically taking a leadership role? Yeah, well, I think for one, throughout my first year uh, in medical school, SNAP on the Indianapolis campus had some really great events talking about our healthcare system more generally. And I do remember one about physician advocacy as you continue to practice. And that really stuck with me to learn about all the different ways that you can be an advocate. So I think those things really piqued my interest in learning more about single payer and our healthcare system more broadly, because it's tough during the first few years of medical school. It's There's so much time devoted to learning the medical knowledge that I think there's so much of a focus on that, that unless you take the time to learn about the healthcare system, you're really in the dark about it until you're already in it and practicing it. So yeah, I think really SNAP had some great events that got me involved and made me want to keep learning more. And then in terms of joining the leadership team, I would have to say I was inspired by the team that I saw um, putting on the events for SNAP in the first place. And it was definitely some a culture that I wanted to continue and be a part of. So would you please talk about the attitude in your fellow medical students? and What are students concerned about? When it comes to SNAP, I'd have to say that the position of single payer is broadly popular among 
my medical class. So for example, our SNAP GroupMe, which is the primary way that we communicate, has over 100 student members. And that, that represents a broad range of students that are actively engaged and involved with SNAP day in and day out and want to see change to other students who just agree with single payer but aren't necessarily as involved. But the fact that we have them in our group and attending the events and seeing what's going on, I just I think speaks to the broad support um, that single payer does have within our class, which is really good to see. What Sorry. would one of these events look like? Yeah. So I will comment to say that <laughs> it's been difficult navigating, organizing SNAP and events for it under the conditions of the pandemic and trying to keep people excited and engaged. But I feel like nevertheless, we have been successful in doing that, which I think really speaks to the students' dedication and support of single payer that despite these circumstances that we're still functioning as an organization, having good attendance and recruiting new members. So yeah, I just wanted to say that. But yeah, in terms of our events, so we usually start every year with a single payer 101 talk just to lay to set the stage and talk about why single payer is the solution. And then throughout the year, I guess I can talk we did this past year. So we did a lot of partnering with other student organizations on campus, which was also a way to recruit more people um, and get them familiar with SNAP. So our biggest one probably was, this was the second year that we partnered with SNMA to do a Black History Month speaker series. For our listeners, the SNMA is the Student National Medical Association and the National Medical Association is the National Organization of Black Physicians. Yes. So yeah, we at SNAP in the Indy campus, we partnered with them for the past two years to hold these talks throughout uh, the month of February. And those are our most well-attended well attended events and have certainly been a success. We've had Dr. Susan Rogers speak at them for the past two years also. So that's been good to see. Another one of the events that I undertook was partnering with Alliance. And we had speakers talk about the VA and sort of what lessons we can take from the VA in our fight for single payer. And then also the sort of alliance portion was it, of it was talking about how the VA now covers gender affirmation surgery and how that process changed. And just we had a journal club discussion to talk about that more. Yeah, it was another cool partnership with a, another student organization for us. Joey, as a young medical student beginning a long career, will you please tell us your prescription for healthcare? I'd have to say that my prescription for healthcare is contingent on improving and expanding Medicare under a single payer system. For one, I think it would have to be a system that doesn't rely on a person's ability to pay or their employment status to receive healthcare and is actually contingent. Uh, on the medical need of that patient. And I think some of the things that inspire me and I find most attractive about single payer is that it's an ethical system and something that going into healthcare, I would be proud to be part of.
Thank you so much, Joy, for talking with us today. It's been a real pleasure and good luck in your third year of medical school. I hope you get plenty of rest. <laughs> Thank you so much. Medicare for All Indiana is a co-sponsor of a nationwide kickoff event, March for Medicare for All, a push for single-payer health care. Mark your calendar for Saturday, July 23rd, gathering between 12 noon and 12.30 at Soldiers and Sailors Monument in Indianapolis. There's a march to the State House and a rally with speakers, including our own Dr. Rob Stone. Pack your sunscreen and water bottle. For more information, go to the Medicare for All Indiana Bloomington Facebook page. There is a national action planned in Washington, D.C. on Medicare's 57th birthday on July 30th. This is Karen Greenstone and Dr. Rob Stone for Prescription for Healthcare, sponsored by Medicare for All Indiana on WFHB Community Radio. To your good health, everyone, stay safe. COVID is still with us. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noel Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Dr. Rob Stone and Karen Greenstone. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Kate Young. For WFHB, I'm Noel Herhusky Schneider. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters, WFHB, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Big Talk a one-on-one conversation with some of Bloomington's most fascinating people. Coming up next on WFHB. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB local news volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB local news archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB local news. We are local, longer, 